Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, the team from NC Fit, Gabe Giannis, and MDV and I discuss my recent sailing experience and leadership skills that I think translate into our business and into real life. Talk about toe spacers and the benefits, and Gabe talks about them. And we talk about an update on our hot cold therapy and what we're currently experimenting with. One of the goals for this show on a weekly basis, yes, we have the Coffee with Kalipa, short format. We have our guest episodes. But on these weekly episodes, we just want to touch base on the things that we're experimenting with, trying, and how our fitness and lifestyle journey has evolved. One of the things we discussed today is blood work, in particular, working with a company called Merrick Health, which we created a partnership with a while ago. We talk about what we've learned through working with them. If you want to check them out, make sure you check out the podcast show notes or visit MerrickHealth.com slash EOE for the exact same panel that MDV and I discuss on this show. Now, without any further ado, I hope you, your family are crushing it. Get after it in the gym, get after it outside the gym, but let's dive into a great episode with MDV and Gabe Yanez. Let's go. There's no other option but to start recording when Gabe says he's going to hang on one second. Let me go ahead and put on my toe spacers. You know, it's funny. That was actually a white elephant gift. I don't know if that one that you actually are wearing is, but it was a white elephant gift that we did for our holiday for NC Fit Team was one of the one of the items was toe spacers. And I totally thought it was like a complete gag, (laughs) completely like ridiculous. But then it turns out, yeah, look at that. This, this episode brought to you by Toe Spacer. I, I had no <laughs> idea that that was a thing. So, so what if, not to go off on a complete tangent, but why, how often do you wear the Toe Spacers? Um, whenever, so I, I try and stand as much as I, I you guys have seen. So I, I work from my kitchen because it has like a really nice, um, essentially standing desk. It's a, it's a good height and I have a bench so I can, easily go from sitting and standing whenever I'm going to know I'm going to do like a long bout of standing. I like wearing them. So the thinking behind it, and again, like you guys know me, like I I'm, I'm more than happy to try pretty much anything that like is supposed to have some benefit. I'm, I'm just always curious to try stuff out. So supposedly, and this does make a lot of sense to me, like a lot of the shoes that we wear now, like just scrunch our feet in ways that like isn't necessarily natural and a lot of like ankle knee problems just issues people have overall like losing ankle flexibility is supposedly stems from the fact that we have these shoes that are incredibly cushioned and very restrictive on your toes so the idea behind the toe spacers is that you know trying to reverse that a little bit since you're trying to stretch them out by putting something in between your toes now have i maybe necessarily felt the difference I don't know. I think a lot of this stuff is is in your head a little bit, but it does feel comfortable to have them on. Like it feels, it feels like you're you're getting a stretch. And then when I take them off, it it, it just feels good. So, mm. well, bunions, right? The if you look at your big toe and then you look at like the <laughs> the no, the bu- a bunion is the the thing that like sticks out on the side of your foot. It's not like any sort of weird growth. It's like the bony structure of your foot being misaligned because of. Your toes being too crunched together at the front of your foot. I think that's one of the big causes for those, right? No, it is. It is. That's why, um, like wearing obviously it doesn't apply to us, or maybe it does. I don't judge. Wearing high heels a lot um, is supposed to be like the worst thing you can do for your feet, both because of like the 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 heel part and just how pointy they are at the tip. So, um, yeah. Anyway, Jason couldn't uh, handle the word bunion. Oh, or bunion. When I think about bunions, I just think of like a really old like grandma or something. Look at my bunion. I don't know. If, I don't know where oh that's God. from, but I just think about word. it. It's a weird word for something that isn't like a growth, like a wart or something. Like when you, at least when I think of bunions until like more recently, I always would think of like a weird growth on your foot or something like yeah. that. But it, it's just, I think it's just displacement of bone. I think. Yeah, maybe I'll try those out. Like my feet, you know, I have fat, flat feet. Um, I'm the guy that, you know, my whole life when I get out of the pool, it's just a big blob. Um, <laughs> never had a never had a footprint in my life. It's just a blob, literally. And uh, 
lately with jujitsu, I don't know, my, my ankle has been bothering me a little bit, not from like an ankle lock or anything like that. Just, just, I don't know, from the pivoting or something. Um, I was rolling jujitsu with someone and we were on very small mats and my ankle went off the mat and went onto the concrete. So I don't think that helped, but I wonder just from a foot perspective, if wearing something like that could help. So I don't know if I'm going to buy them yet. There's a few things that are still up for for like uh, interpretation with, that we discuss. One is mouth taping. I'm still not sold on it. Two is the foot spacers. Not sold on that yet. I am sold on some other things though that we've we've been talking about. So well, first uh, let's just make sure that this episode is not sponsored by <laughs> toe spacer. This episode might actually be sponsored by Merrick Health, which is something we should get into talking about because yeah. those guys have been really great and uh, offering preventative healthcare, telehealth, and talking to real human beings about what your blood work looks like. I can't recommend them enough. M-A-R-E-K Health. They've been fantastic. I just got my blood work done, had my consultation, got my results back, met with the doc, and things are pretty much in order. I've been eating really healthfully for a long time, doing a lot of exercise for a long time, so I'm not going to make any sort of really crazy changes right now. But there's a couple of vitamins that uh, they asked me to supplement with and that I think I'm going to add into my uh, my daily routine. So Merrick Health has been fantastic. I don't know if you guys have gotten your blood work done yet with those guys yet. Well, we talked about this a little bit ago. And I think something that we, we brought up was that you had had previous blood work experiences mm. and that they didn't match even remotely in compared to your current um, Merrick Health. And I think the reason why I like that is like from a entrepreneurship business side, even if you know, you're know you not a owner of a company, maybe you're whatever, you're, 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 when you think about like, you want your patrons, your customers to rave about your product and the difference between your previous blood work where you're like, eh, it was fine, right? Or even when I've gotten blood work before, yeah, it's fine. But you're not gonna go tell anybody about it. Like the experience was just whatever. But now with these guys, right, when you get set up with them, they give you an in, you know, a individual that gets you on the phone. Then you'll get the blood work. Then you talk to that individual again. Then they could directly connect you to the doc. And their customer experience and their flow is so good that it, it created us three to start talking about it, which ultimately led us to contacting the company. So it's just a great example for all of us that their company's going to grow because their customer experience provides something that we actually want to go scream from the hilltops about versus others that are just kind of checking the box at time. And that, that relates to gym owners, I think, really well. Yeah, the, I had had um, previous experience, like you said, with another telehealth company, and um, they were okay, but it it wasn't as personal. This was the It was definitely more transactional. It felt more like just a currency exchange, you know, with the guys at Merrick, you know, both Brandon and Steven, you're going to know the, some of these guys' names right away. You're going to get to know your, your care coordinator. He answers all my questions and, and emails very, very quickly. And the cool part about it, when I did have my consultation with, with the doctor, we went over time. And I'm sure that they don't want to go over time all the time. But I had a couple of questions. They ran over. He didn't say anything. He just answered them very, very calmly. And, you know, that was that. And I felt that that was really cool because I... I think that the service and and making sure that they answer questions freely and fully is really important in these kinds of relationships. So I've been nothing but happy. Freely and fully. Uh, yeah, Gabe, are you haven't gotten your blood work yet, right? No, I just haven't had the chance to like set everything up. I've I've been can't leave the farm. It takes you an hour to leave the farm and go find a blood work. <laughs> no, I I definitely can. I just I I just haven't yet, but I'm I'm really looking forward to it based on NDD's experience and really excited that we have the opportunity to work with them and also just share our experiences. Because one thing that I think is incredibly important is this shift towards, you know, healthcare, the healthcare space being something that, you know, people are seeking out to say, hey, how can I not be sick in the future? Like MBV said, preventative, not just, you know, us interacting with the healthcare system only when something's wrong and then going and getting a fix that's, you know, really just kind of like, all right, well, let's deal with the symptoms. Let's, you know, get you back to not being, nothing being wrong instead of saying, all right, you're healthy. How can we get you healthier? How can we do the things to kind of optimize a little bit more to make sure that there aren't issues down the line? So I, I love everything about that. So I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to work with them and, and share my experience hopefully in the coming weeks here. Yeah. So I got my blood work done. Um, Ashley is actually getting hers done um, soon. It's like a very, very comprehensive panel. What I like about just blood work in general is like, I'm in a place in my life 
where I want to optimize myself. I want to optimize how I feel. I want to optimize uh, how long I could live for, for my kids. And I think there's a lot of people in that, in that same boat. And so, you know, we tried the EOE 40, right? I ate just meat and some fruit for 40 days. Then you're, we're doing a lot of hot, cold exposure. Um, we've done a lot of different things just to see how I could optimize my body. But one thing that's very, very clear is that getting your blood work done, like there's no way you could cheat that, right? You, you, you could tell yourself you feel good, but all of a sudden, if you're looking at your blood markers and there's something really, really off, by optimizing there, maybe you'll feel 10 times better. You just don't realize you feel that bad. It's like someone who has a gluten intolerance, like, or not intolerance, but just like a slight allergy, but they haven't realized it. And then all of a sudden they, they take that food out and they realize like, that's their new normal. Like they thought that was normal to have gas pains and this and that all of a sudden they take it out and now it's life changing for them. So I'm excited to, to keep diving, um, diving into it with the Merrick health. Yeah. They were really helpful and really informative too. And they weren't pushing treatments on me unnecessarily so which is also really cool like i definitely had options there were things that i could have participated in if i felt hey i want to go this route right now and they just shot me straight they told me that this might not be the best route for you right now maybe in the future we consider this but you're good here and maybe we should focus on not only these types of uh, vitamin supplements which are a little bit kind of lo lower hanging fruit but also just making sure that you're keeping in track the cool I don't necessarily need this that much, but they also highlighted lifestyle stuff. They highlighted your nutrition, your resistance training, your aerobic uh, training. They highlighted breath work and sleep, which is really cool. And I hadn't heard nothing about that from some previous people who I had spoke to. So those elements, obviously indispensable as well. Dude, so here we are. It's uh, 8 a.m. here on the West Coast. Uh, Mr. Uh, Dave Castro, for those of you who don't know, he was the director of the CrossFit Games for many, many years, a pivotal uh, part of CrossFit HQ for well over a decade. He is on the road right now traveling to different CrossFit gyms, and he ran into a gym, and he has been, he did, our workout today is called Salt and Peppa, which is, it, 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 it's, in you start off with uh, some squat clean and jerks as like some strength work, and then you got into 100 burpees to a target, but every minute starting at zero, you do three jerks. Um, so it kind of breaks up those burpees. It's a little bit more of a, I wouldn't, it's, it's a sprint ish workout, but hundred burpees with some clean and jer or some jerks in between. And so he was tagging us and letting us know, and I'm just super, super happy to see that gyms are utilizing the programs in particular, shout out to three star CrossFit for utilizing our program and getting after it. That's out there by you, right? Uh, Gabe, a little bit. No, no, no. They're they're right by Matt in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Actually. Oh, they're in Tennessee. That's right. That's right. I, I I got that wrong. That's a cool workout, man. The thing about that workout that is a little bit uh, tough to deal with mentally is the fact that in a lot of those on the minute types of workouts, you get that first minute to build that, like put money in the bank, like, oh, I'm going to sprint the burpees this first minute. You got to pick up the barbell first in this workout, put yeah. it overhead three times and then get down on the ground. This is a really cool workout. I like that. It's accessible to everybody with the burpee. Obviously, it's a movement that a lot of people can do. You can adjust that a million different ways as well. But then the push jerk can just be adjusted to a shoulder to overhead. You can do it lighter. You can do it with dumbbells. You can do it as a strict press or a push press. Lots of different ways that you can approach this workout. Really cool kind of back and forth workout today. Yeah. So if you guys haven't tried it, it's 100 burpees. Before that, I would just get in a little bit of strength work. 100 burpees every minute starting at zero right? Get in those three jerks. And I think the weight is 165, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Quick, a little bit um, heavier than the normal 155. Yeah. Yeah. A quick side note before we move on from the, um, from the, the, the blood draws and, and getting your blood taken. I just finished the last episode. If anyone's looking for a, a show recommendation, just watch the last episode yesterday of the dropout. The Theranos you, story. Oh, that's how you correlated. Okay, got it. I was wondering, how do you correlate the dropout yeah. to because, blood work? Because, well, it, it. the piece that like especially stood out is like, you know how it's still, and it's kind of crazy that it's still the same process to go get your blood taken, right? Like you have to go somewhere, you have to make an appointment, you have to get like all these vile blood drawn. For some people, it's like a really crummy experience. It's very uncomfortable. This entire company that spoiler alert ended up being a, a huge fraud was built off of this promise that you could now go and for only a drop right like a pinprick from your finger be able to get you know everything and any kind of information that, that you would get and it's crazy story 
the podcast is awesome. The dramatization on Hulu, I thought was incredibly well done. I really enjoyed it. So if anyone's looking for a show recommendation to binge this weekend or just kind of get started with the dropout, anyway. I can't, I can't second that enough. I thought it was fantastically well done. I haven't listened to the podcast, but there's um, a mini series that you can also find on, I think, either Hulu that documents the podcast. On HBO, there's also the full actual documentary about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, but the Hulu show was fantastic. And the best time to jump into a Hulu show is after the last episode airs because now you don't have to wait for eight weeks to see the next episode. Hulu's on that slow drip to keep you involved. Hey, I, I guess it works, right? I mean, I don't, it, uh, it keeps people there. You know, it brings up um, one of the things about blood work. And this also was something we were talking about the other day was uh, my sailing journey. But I think this this is a good conversation kind of pivot is this idea like a lot of people don't want to get their blood work, including like my wife or even me, to be honest, because it's kind of a pain in the ass. You know, you have to go down to the location. You have to get your blood drawn to Gabe's point. Um, but something that I relate that to is the, my sailing experience because basically it's a pain in the butt, right? I had to drive up there. I had to spend a whole day. It's a big commitment. It's a lot to go down and get your blood work done as an example. But once you're done with it, you don't regret doing it. It's just sometimes you have to motivate yourself to kind of get the work done because the byproduct in the end is going to be so much, so much more beneficial. It, the easy route is just staying at home. But when you go out there and go explore these things or get your blood work done or take this thing, it, it, it's very beneficial. And for me, uh, a week ago, right, I learned how to sail. And it would have been easy for me to say, oh, man, I got to drive an hour and a half. I got to get on the boat. I got to do this. But instead, you know, I took the time to do that. And it was a really rewarding experience in the process. So shout out to anybody going out there and doing new things. That's a really uh, interesting topic. We can kind of pull the thread on there, too, because, you know, you very easily could have been like, well, I know I'm not going to learn everything I need to learn about sailing in this one experience. It's going to take a long time. My whole day is going to be shot. The weather might not be so great. I'm going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be with people who I don't know. But if you're in that mindset about anything that you're going to go do, you're never going to get good at that thing. And I think that that's something that, you know, I struggled with with jujitsu for starting and stopping this journey. And before I got into jujitsu, like I'm into it now, I did my first jujitsu class like seven years ago. I, I took my first class seven years ago. And I remember being like, oh, this is really cool, but you know what? It's a little bit out of my way. I do all this other training. I'm not ready to give that up. And um, you know, hindsight's always 2020. But I would, if I could go back and say, hey, seven years ago, if I had some some commitment and some consistency and was only going at least twice a week, three times a week, where would I be now? And uh, you know, it's it's not for everybody. And you know, certainly you got to balance the things that you have to do in your life with the things that you want to do, but you know, there are some things like Jason saying that you never regret trying, um, but you can convince yourself not to try a lot of things. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to convince yourself not to. So for me, you know, and, and one of the things that we were discussing, and I think it's an important topic is my experience with sailing, I think could be a whole like podcast in itself of leadership, uh, accountability, um, structure, and how that relates to life and how it relates to business. You know, I, I went on there and I, I was, I went on there with a variety of different people with different skill levels. I by far, without a doubt, had the least amount of skill. And I, I have only been on a boat once in my life that didn't have a motor or it had, okay. So to be fair, sailboats have motors in, in general. They just aren't really utilized, you know, the entire duration. So I'd only been on one time in Hawaii, I believe we were on a catamaran that then turned off its engine and turned on the sails. And so outside of that, I had never had the exposure to that silence, to the wind, to utilizing the sails. And I sure as hell had never been responsible of tacking myself. So going out here, my, my goal was I was the new guy. The other guys I was with, most of them were pretty experienced. But my goal is to one day be able to sail a boat. If I, my family and I go and travel somewhere, I'd love to be able to go take a boat out for the day and feel confident that I could take it out, explore a beach or something with my kids, and then come back. That's the, the end all goal. And this was a step in that direction. But man, like I was sharing with you guys, sailing, for those of you who have never been on a boat and kind of learned how to do it, it is literally an entirely different language. Um, they, they have more words for more, more things than I could possibly articulate. And uh, it's almost like they make it intentionally difficult. Like a, it's like learning a new language. It's pretty crazy. 
Well, we had we had spoke about this a little bit where it's there's a lot of terminology that's carried over from from many, many decades and Helms of, Lee. Yeah, a lot of tradition in in sailing community and uh, and it's also one of those things where you have to be very, very clear and direct. And I think some of the language that they use in sailing is to make sure that people aren't using confusing terminology to make sure that everybody knows what's going on. So you can't say left side of the boat or right side of the boat. You have to use the you know port side or uh, I forget what the other side of starboard? the boat. Starboard. Starboard, yeah. Yeah, port and starboard. Um, but no, I think it's really cool. It gives me a tremendous amount of respect for people who are like, these all kind of encompassing like jack of all trades guys like you, you meet somebody who's like a navy seal or whatever and then they're like oh i also know how to sail i can mountain climb i can freaking jump out of airplanes i can do this i do jujitsu i can shoot it just gives me tremendous amount of uh appreciation for the skill and commitment of people like that i was gonna say i uh m one major takeaway and I'll, I'll leave you guys with this on on the boat side is the benefit of formal leadership and structure in terms of a the boat is not like a, a plane, which is not like a gym. It's a little bit different, but when it comes to the actual like flow of it, there is a risk, right? And there is some danger that someone could go overboard if things aren't done properly. Obviously a lot more, I think when you're in the air, but anyways, but the, the fact that when I was, you know, uh, skippering, uh, for when I was skippering, I had to give a call. The crew had to give a call back to me. And then I gave a call that I created the action. So if I'm doing a port side tack, I would say, Hey, port side tack. They would say something back. I say, okay, Helms Lee. And I turn the wheel. And I found that to be really interesting because in, in business, you know, especially at our organization, that's relatively flat and whatnot. Sometimes it's difficult to kind of feel like, you're giving like super clear direction, but I think it's even more important than ever. And being on that boat really taught me that if it's like super flat and no one's taking control and no one's deciding what we're doing and where we're doing it, it's just, it's just a mess on a boat. So it's kind of translating that to business within reason. I thought it was a cool learning experience for me when I got off that boat, you know, I spent eight hours on it, learned a lot, but one thing was watching the way the leadership flow was, including the captain that we, we actually um, hired a guide to help us uh, learn how to sail. Yeah, I think that what it comes down to for me is no matter how collaborative you want to be, or even no matter how varying skill levels amongst the team you might have, the importance of dictating or like picking an owner that's going to kind of take leadership of the overall project or the goal that you're trying to get to is just so important. I think it's one thing that we've definitely learned and gotten a lot better at ourselves and I know it's something that can be a little tough for teams out there is, you know, if you guys are trying to get a project done and everyone kind of knows the role that they take, but there isn't one person that is responsible for making sure that all those roles are completed and that they're completed on time and in the order that they should be, that's how things fall through the crack, right? Like there always, always has to be one person that like, hey, you are the overall owner of this launch or this thing that we're going to be putting out there or this change that we're going to institute that can make sure that, right, Jason, you're taking care of ABC, MBB, you're taking care of XYZ and is constantly checking that those things are done and done in the right time frame. Um, and it's it seems like a you know easy thing to, eh, that's not necessary. Like we all kind of know what we're doing, we work well together. But I mean, we've learned time and time again, things do fall through the cracks if there isn't a single owner calling the shots, or at least kind of looking at the project from a bird's eye view. Yeah, I, I agree with you, uh, Gabe. Excuse me. <clears throat> I also think that there's there's definitely a time and a place for decisions by committee and a lot of collaboration and you know feeling things out. You know, maybe before you're getting on the boat, maybe there's a time when everybody's kind of collaborating about the the route you're going to take, or like, hey, you're kind of all gathering the stuff up together and making sure it's all in a pile to put onto the boat, right? Like. But it once you get into certain situations where there are either higher stakes or you do have to have very, very clear guidance or you do need to make sure everybody's doing their job, you know, decisions by committee don't always work really well in, in those kinds of situations. The, the boat's a great example. Like you don't want to have three people calling out the orders to the crew about what to do. You want to have one person. 
You want to have one person who's making the decisions that go down the chain. And you have to have that effective chain as well, because if that one person, God forbid, something happens to them, then you have the next person who automatically knows they have to step up. And now they're in the, the role of calling the shots and everybody just responds. And then the leader takes the role from there. So I think it's hugely important. A lot of translations over to business, a lot of translations over to life and coaching. And uh, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I've learned the hard way, really a hard way. I mean, this is like years and years ago, we would be sitting in meetings and we would just leave the meeting and it was like, okay, like we left the meeting. We're all good. But one of the things that I've had to learn is like, Hey, so Gabe, you're doing this MDV, you're doing this, or who's owning this, who's owning that. And I think just recirculating that before the meeting's been up has been really, really valuable. Um, Hey, so my takeaways so far are this, 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 uh, is everybody on the same page? Okay, let's go. I think that saved us an abundance amount of time versus what we used to do, which is just like we'd finish a meeting. And I think maybe what it was for me, if I had to kind of call myself out, I don't know if it was the fact that I wanted to create such a flat organization that I felt weird, like not dictating, that's not the right term, but like, like pointing something at somebody, but actually that's what the business needed. And that's what that individual needed. And I think I was just missing out on it. Right. Cause we'd have a conversation about whatever, and then we'd leave the meeting and then I'd have to follow up with seven other people at seven different times when I, what I could have done is just write in that meeting. All right. So Gabe, you're going to be responsible for this. Yeah. Does that sound you good? Okay. Check. And then move on. And uh, I think before I was just too afraid to just kind of say, Hey, Gabe, you're going to be responsible for this. Any of you are going to be responsible for this. In hindsight, I wish we had done that earlier. So any uh, gym owner, business owners out there, it's a simple takeaway for you guys. Let's get an update on the cold plunge. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> Jay, what are, we, what are we, 10 days in? I, I got to tell you something on the cold plunge. It is night and day, night and day, going from a sauna to the cold plunge than it is going from nothing to the cold plunge. Like literally night and day. Um, going from the sauna to the cold plunge, it, it, it almost feels good. It's especially like your face because sometimes I've gotten that sauna too hot and I feel like my face is going to explode. And when you go into the cold plunge, it's just, it, 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 it almost like you can't even feel it. It's very unique, but yes, it's day, I think it's day 11 for me right now on the cold plunge. I've been in it every day. Now, granted, it's not super, super cold. Um, it's at 55 degrees. But I'd say out of all the things that I've done in the last like decade for myself, maybe that's an exaggeration. Out of all the things that I've done for my family, for the for the family, it's been number one as far as I'm concerned. Because the garage has always been a gym, but it's been something that the kids actually look forward to doing and it instantly changes their mood. I mean, instantly. So Abe is in there every morning with me and I see a dramatic difference. So I'd say out of all the things I've introduced to the kids, this has been the most impactful. Now we're only 10 days in, 11 days in. So I don't want to, you know, the fitness has been great for a great way for me to connect with the kids, but this has been even better so far. It's better than fitness. I mean, just as far as like, okay, maybe not better, but like a, a really good connection. Like, so for example, the kids and I, right. Or especially Ava, cause Caden plays multiple different sports. So because he has multiple different sports and he likes to sleep in more, we're kind of a little bit different. Ava, she loves to wake up early. So she's up with me every day at six and we go in the garage, work out. And now we've added in the cold plunge as a part of that. When we would go in and do workouts, it was more so because she knew she needed to get movement in that day. We were just trying to put points on the scoreboard, get some wins. And she doesn't have as many activities outside of school as Caden does. So she just needs to get some movement in. That's it. That was a purpose. But we went in, we got the job done, we left. It was never like anything that made her feel necessarily better. She's got the work done. And I think that in itself made her feel better, but that was it. Now she'll wake up in the morning. She'll be pretty cranky. We'll go into the garage. So she'll still be pretty cranky. Well, she'll get in the cold plunge. She'll get out. She'll be a different human being. It is, it is uh, incredible to watch. I don't know if a cold shower would do the same thing, but the cold plunge in particular, I'm sitting there, I'm timing her, I'm doing it with her. And it's been, it's been really, really great. So I can't speak highly enough about it. It does the same thing to a lesser extent. It just isn't as as ideal but um it definitely has the, the the same response the cold is interesting because it's the i guess safest and most like measurable way for you to just release certain neurochemicals that like 
are definitely released in other ways, but other ways that you just can't control the environment as much in. And what I mean by safest is that like even um, heat, there's like an extent to which you can raise your core body temperature where things like just get really, really dicey. Whereas with the cold, um, you can do a little bit better based on what I've heard. Doesn't mean that the sauna doesn't have incredible benefits and you can't stay there for 15, 20 minutes. I'm actually super excited to get my sauna all set up. I just have to do the electrical. Um, but the cold tends to be something where, you know, even you who's just getting started, you can have something that's just colder than what you're comfortable with. And you're still going to get those benefits because the neurochemicals actually get released because of like the anticipation of how it's going to feel as much as from like the actual cold and the, the, the response that that makes you have. Whereas you don't really get that kind of like, no one's getting like super anxious, like, oh man, I'm gonna get in the sauna. The sauna will get tough if you're in there long enough for sure, but just the act of getting in there is, if anything, kind of relaxing in the beginning. Oh, the, so getting into the sauna is the best feeling. That's right, the exactly. The, the first five minutes in the sauna is the best when you're sitting in there and you're chilling and you're dry and you, you maybe you're reading a book and you're not sweating all over it or you're listening to a podcast or talking to somebody. And then if you got that baby cranked up to anywhere above 190, that's what I, my experience has been. Above 190 is a different animal. Below 190 is, is far easier to sustain for longer periods. But um, I, I purchased my sauna from Almost Heaven, and those guys were great. And I do uh, probably five to seven sessions a week in the sauna. Um, 15 to 20 minutes, I try to be in there 200 degrees. In, interesting thing that I learned um, – on the latest uh, Huberman Lab podcast that he posted. I don't know if you guys checked it out about cold immersion. And this just, it was really interesting to me because I come from um, a pretty extensive background of like, you know, triathlons and, and long distance races that, you know, a lot of the ones that I did were under like, you know, pretty uncomfortably hot conditions. And what he mentioned, and I mean, it made sense. I haven't like experimented with the new techniques that he had talked about, but you see a lot of people in these races or when you get really hot, try and splash your face or like, you know, take like the, the cold towel and put it on the top of your head. And what he was saying is that's actually the last thing you want to do because our internal, really? yeah, because our internal thermostat is located in, in your head. It's located in your hypothalamus. So like right here. So what the analogy he had is if you wanted to cool down your house and what you did was you went to go put like an ice towel on the thermostat of your house. What would that do? That would actually tell your house to heat itself up. So what you actually want to do is cool down the palms of your hands and the, the bottoms of your feet. Cause that's where the most capillaries are to actually like take heat away from your body, but to actually like put cold water on your face or like, you know, like you always see on the slow motion videos of the Iron Man, like, you know, squeeze a towel of cold water over the top of your head. It might feel good in the moment, but it's actually going to, your body's actually going to register that as, Hey, we need to raise the core body temperature up because that's where your thermostat is located. I thought that was super interesting. And I wish I had known that when I was doing some of these races in, in, in super hot conditions, because that's the first thing you do. Because if you think about it, that feels best. It's kind of intuitively yeah. what you think would cool you down. But the better thing to do would be to grab, you know, those cold towels that they have at the rest stations and just run with it in your hands. You know, that's interesting because in the cold plunge, the, in my opinion, the hardest part of my body to get in is, is my hands, I feel like. I mean, once you're in, my hands are outside to bring the hands in and drop the shoulders. It's very difficult. Um, it's very uncomfortable when my hands are in. So I don't know if that has to do with it, but. By the way, other thing that I heard on this podcast and a way that you can make your experience a little bit more challenging without maybe having to change the water temperature for the kids is to move while you're in there and break like the little film. Cause when you're in there completely still, there's a point where your own body heat creates like a little layer of warmer water around you and people tend to be super still in these plunges but if you're just moving around or like kind of kicking your feet slowly it'll prevent that from happening and 55 degrees will feel a lot colder if you're constantly moving in there than if you're being perfectly still so just something you can do so you don't have to change the temperature between you and ava going in 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't need to change the temperature yet, man. The kids are going <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I've noticed about um, sauna exposure and testing it out in different environments is that there's a difference in getting in there in the early morning uh, oh, yeah. without much movement uh, versus getting in there at the end of the day. There's also a difference between getting in there after like a highly aerobic workout versus a weightlifting workout. And um, this surprised me, but actually getting into the sauna after more aerobic work is actually easier for me. And this is just my anecdotal experience. I don't know what the science is to back it up, but going in there after doing like um, intervals on the bike, like yesterday I did three sets of seven minutes with about like a 90 second break in between where I was doing some like light kettlebell swings. And then I went immediately into the sauna and that 15 minute session was not, not bad. You know, it was, I was able to be in there the entire time, able to breathe. Um, but sometimes going in there after like a really heavy leg workout or, um, a really like intense weightlifting workout, it's much harder for me to stay in there longer. And I don't know, I'd have to talk to somebody or do a little bit more of the research. Well, it, it makes a lot of sense, um, or at least, you know, me trying to put two and two together in, you know, one of the common reasons that a lot of people, I think, mistakenly think that, you know, being on a treadmill for an hour gives them more fat burning than doing a resistance training session because, you know, their smartwatch tells them that they burn X amount of calories. You know, a reason that that's not necessarily the case is because resistance training is a lot more thermogenic. So it does actually raise your metabolism and heat you up more for longer. So it, thinking about that, it might make sense that, you know, after a really intense leg session, yes, you might not have been like a sweaty and is breathing heavy, but the actual end, like the actual engine inside is, is, is really burning hot because you worked hard with some pretty big muscles. Yeah. I think there's also probably something to the fact that during aerobic exercise, your heart is actually at a sustainable level for longer periods of time, right? Like you're at the mid to high heart rate range and, you know, blood is moving constantly during these efforts versus in a more, um, resistance training, you know, you're, you're not raising, you're raising and lowering your heart rate, but it's not staying consistent. And you're also getting that big pump, that big, uh, kind of push of blood into the muscle. And I don't know, this is just me kind of thinking, but as opposed to having, you know, things moving for a long time during uh, an aerobic session, and then getting into the sauna and continuing that, I think going into the sauna after resistance training, maybe things need to like undo themselves a little bit and it's could harder. Be. I don't know. Yeah. Could be. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to try some different things out once I, once I have it set up, what's, what's your go-to MBV? What's your favorite time to get into the sauna? I like it more uh, in the late afternoon, evening, uh, pre-dinner. So I, I typically train these days if I'm doing a, a workout here at the house. Um, I typically train at like 4 or 4.30 or 5. And I'll train anywhere from like an hour to 90 minutes. Um, I'll try to turn the sauna on before going into the garage to get it to move through one heat cycle to start heating up. And then when I get into the garage, I turn it back on to get to full heating temperature. So by the time I'm done, I can go right in, but that's, that's how I use it mostly now in the evening. You know, because you have yours in your garage, um, probably benefits a little bit, you know, so I have mine outside and in the morning it is, it does take longer to heat up. So I, I tell myself just to wait and I'll do it later on in the afternoon. Cause it also gets hotter here in California and it doesn't take as long to heat up. And maybe I'm just being cheap about electricity. I don't know. Um, but, uh, I, I try it both. I've tried it both ways in the morning and afternoon in, in the evening yesterday, for example, I was at jujitsu and I went to our gym for, um, workouts and I did it after I was done with both of those, which felt great. So, um, We'll continue to talk about this hot, cold work. We'll continue to talk about the things that, that we're doing, you know, like, I think that's, what's cool about this show. Like we're just discussing like, uh, the toe things or, you know, like I was, <laughs> the you know, like, I was wearing a CGM for what a month. I was wearing a CGM. I oh, was, dude. And, but dude, look, man, people could say, Oh, what happened to the CGM? Fuck it. I got the data. I feel like I understood moved on. That's what happened. Well, that was one of the things that Merrick Health recommended uh, as like a baseline optional thing for, I think, 
probably a lot of people is to get yeah. the data from a, a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor. Jason, did you share the results of what your data looked like? Like, tell us what your baseline was and then tell us like what happened during training or after meals. And this was also when you were eating kind of just meat and fruit, right? Yeah. So they said that there was a standard deviation. So, so I, if I'm not mistaken, I think my resting blood glucose, I mean, you said yours was really low MDV. Mine, fasted on this blood glucose? Fa my fasted blood glucose, according to the monitor, which m probably could have been different than a, a blood prick. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was like 90, which is still pretty high. Like that basically puts you at like pre-diabetic, right? Um, uh, or 100, I think. Yeah. I think anywhere between, I think anywhere between 60 and a hundred fasting blood glucose is what they look for as normal. But some athletes actually end up being higher on that um, on that spectrum. And this is just my anecdotal knowledge and things that I've picked up over the years. I actually sit around the same. I'm at like between 85 and 90 almost every time I get my blood taken. But my insulin is super, super low. My insulin is like very low. Yeah. So. And so what they're looking for this CGM is what I was trying to gather from data. And it's a little skewed. I, I probably need to put it back on again because I was just eating meat with some fruit and my diet was so clean for so long. I didn't see the peaks and valleys. What I was curious about, you know, actually, actually I'll caveat that. But that's good. <laughs> well, when I actually first wore it, the second day I had it, I went out and I had a couple old fashions. And my blood glucose spiked like no other. I had some like fried chicken and uh, an old fashioned. After that, then I was on the 40 days of just meat. And so it was pretty consistent. But what I found to be the most interesting is how your blood glucose spikes during training and then how quickly it could fall back down. And that's a great indicator of how, ins how insulin, uh, not resistant, but how insulin sensitive you are. And so just seeing that data I'm going to wear it again. And, and now that I'm eating like more different types of food, see what foods impact my blood glucose the most. But the biggest, the biggest lesson I learned was that specifically during jujitsu or workouts that incorporate my brain with my body, which MDV, uh, Gabe, you and I spoke a little bit about this the other day about, um, being more, uh, all of us did be more intentional in your training and kind of like thinking through what you're trying to do. I wonder if I had taken that mindset to my workouts what impact I would have had. Whereas like in jujitsu, I'd see an immediate spike, huge spike, and then immediate drop off. So I don't know, we're going to keep trying out different things, man. I, I, I'm fascinated by the human body and just testing it out. The jujitsu thing is really interesting. And we might've mentioned this in the other podcast a, a bunch of months ago when we talked about your CGM experience, but like fight or flight probably is a part of that where you know you're going in to do this thing that has consequences and th this very intense thing that if you do not get the energy that you need you you could quote unquote uh die right you're not actually going to die you're going to just tap but that i think that there's probably something to that as well versus you know in the workouts and you're so accustomed to them in the functional training gym that you know that failure really isn't an option. It's not a flight or fight kind of situation for you. I, I'm interested to see the data as well. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put it back on and uh, mess around with it a little bit and like go eat a pizza and see what happens and then report back to you guys, because I didn't do that because we were on the EOE 40 challenge. So I never really messed around with the food that much. Um, I'd also be curious, like from an alcohol consumption perspective, if I drank a couple of glasses of Pinot versus, you know, a couple of glasses of bourbon, what impact that would have. And maybe I shouldn't be drinking a couple of glasses of either of them, but I'd be interested to see what happens. This sounds like the best experiment ever. You're going to go eat a pizza. You're going to have some cupcakes. You have some bourbon, have some Pinot. Hey, hey it's all for science. It's all Jason, for science. Jason wanting to try stuff out just always makes me shake my head. I think the, the best thing for you to do would be to just put it on, commit to it for like, you know, a good month, two months, and just do what you're normally doing. Because I think a lot of the value from this stuff is – there are foods that people probably don't realize that have big spikes for them just based on your individuality that I think could help you tinker little things here and there. Because I think that like, you know, you know what pizza is going to do to your blood sugar. It's not going to do anything good, you know? <laughs> so I think it, it, it'd be more, more interesting to see, you know, how the breakfast that you're having and how like what you're having maybe after your workout, how that stuff is impacting.
That's what I would be curious about. But um, okay, yeah, I'm 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 back on the train. I'm gonna get back on, and we will continue to talk about CGM. So now we're gonna be talking about hot, cold CGM workouts, business, and uh, before we before we close off, I did just wanna. I have to bring this up and I brought it up to you guys before, but I just think it's important. Um, recently I hosted a rowathon at my kid's school and I just, I really think this is important. And I just, for any parent listening, for any coach listening, an idea is to host a rowathon at your kid's school. What we did, we had about 200 kids participate and we rowed about, I don't know, 200,000 meters. It was pretty cool. We uh, partnered up with the salt fitness. They sent us some rowers. It was incredible. Not the easiest thing to put together, but after we got a few down, it became pretty easy. And we hosted on a single day and we raised a lot of money for the school. But the, the, the key takeaway was it introduced kids to a different fitness component they hadn't used before. Typically, they jump rope or run. This way, it was, it was exciting for them. They were fired up about it. They wanted to try it, but the, the learning curve wasn't so high that like they couldn't do it, but it wasn't so simple like a walkathon. It just gave a completely different stimulus and the kids were so excited. I loved every minute of it. But the big win and the reason why I wanted to bring it up on this show is that if you're a parent, I encourage you to talk to your local gym, see if they'll support a rowathon because there was kids who are a little bit bigger, a little bit taller, maybe a little bit uncomfortable in their own skin that I witnessed firsthand become the stars that day. So instead of being on the football field, the maybe these other sports, or maybe when they're running or looked at as, you know, maybe they're getting picked last for certain sports because maybe they aren't as talented in the rower because their body type contributed to their ability to pull harder and do better. I saw multiple kids who all the kids surrounded them and cheered for them. And it was their moment. And, um, it was, it was a very rewarding experience. So I encourage anybody out there to try and look into it because it allows kids who maybe don't have wins to find a new win of a new activity um, because they haven't exposed themselves to rowing before. Just had to say that. So, um, that's very cool, man. I, I have a tremendous appreciation for that. I think that, um, yeah, people, people need wins like that. Kids need wins like that. And, uh, that's really awesome that you were able to experience that with them. Yeah, man, we're going to keep doing it every year. I just think it's, it's, it's not a big lift. If you're a gym owner out there, it's not a big lift. Just don't program. I mean, obviously, you should be using the NC Fit programming. And uh, if you're not using the collective, shout out to the collective, the world's best session plans and programming. That being said, identify a day where you're not having rowers, right? Or sub it out for bikes or running or whatever. Take those rowers to the local school and do a rowathon. And the way we did it was we did a, a two minutes on, two minutes off with a partner. So if you bring 10 rowers, you could have 20 people. If you bring, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was easy way to keep people engaged two minutes on two minutes off. You can even do one minute on one minute off if the kids are a little bit younger and that was the easy way to interval them through it. Um, go ahead. Hey Gabe, did your Mets win yesterday, by the way? They did. They Big did. W. The Mets hey. have, the Mets have the best record out of any team on opening day. It's like, it's weird. They do very well on opening day. It's the other 161 games that I'm worried about. Hey, my favorite part was yesterday. Uh, I had you guys on the phone. I went and picked up my son, and uh, you were talking about the Mets, and you said something about the Nationals because they played That's the Nationals, playing. right? Yeah. And uh, and my son's like, in my league, the Nationals suck. It is the best. That's all we needed. That was the That's good all you needed. needed for a win. That's right. I'm glad they won, man. Good, good job. Good job. Um, dude, well, hey, we got a big weekend. You know, I hope you guys have a great weekend. We got a big week coming up next week at NC Fit. Always exciting things going on. If you, you know, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're a gym owner and you're not utilizing the plans and the program that we put out at the NC Fit Collective, I, I truly believe we could support you and your coaches. So make sure to reach out to Gabe, reach out to the collective and let us know how we can support you because I think we could take, save you a lot of time, um, for your coaches and for yourself. So make sure you guys check that out. And uh, if you're an athlete out there, if you're in your gym, if you're in your garage and you want to look at the same workouts that we're doing on a regular basis, make sure to check out the NC fit app. So any uh, kind of closing remarks here, Gabe MDV, what's on your mind? Actually just, you know, just kind of uh, highlighting what you talked about with the collective on Monday, we're having a meeting of all of our internal team. We're bringing all of our people who are involved in the programming, the session planning, uh, writing all those awesome class plans that you see. And we're going on a deep dive 
and we're doing a little bit more of like professional development on our end and coming out of that for the collective, for the people who are current subscribers, you guys are going to see a little bit of a new angle on how we're formulating our class plans. Not going to change everything, but we are going to make some really cool changes that responding to feedback that our community gives us. So if you're a gym owner out there, if you're a coach, you have to take a look at what we're doing with the collective. Every single day, you have access to awesome programs, NC Metcon, NCX, NC Flex, a whole bunch of other ones. And then you get those class plans, which this is the development that you need for your coaches. This is professional development. They get to read these things. They get to go out there, run a great class in the moment, but then learn over the long term all the different tools, tips, and tricks that we have. We put those into the class plans, and I guarantee you will be satisfied. So that's just my thing, man. I'm extremely passionate about the collective, fired up to have that meeting next week. The MEV guarantee, baby. That's it. Right. And since both of you guys covered the collective, I've – I can't remember the last time that I've felt so just having so much fun with my training. So if you're not a gym owner and you're just looking for workouts to follow right now, I'm actually, and I'm curious to share this with you guys after I've been doing it for a while, not to get long winded here, but I'm only training three times a week now and doing like a, it's like a 90 minute session and I go super hard and I'm focusing on a lot of strength and hypertrophy stuff. I usually look at what NCX has going on in strength and like what NC flex has going on for the whole week and kind of like mishmash my training based off of that. And it's just been feeling really good. It's been nice to not have to feel like I need to train every day, but when I do, and when I have the time for it, like really getting after it. Um, and I want to see if I can get some, some hypertrophy benefits for it. That's kind of what I'm going for specifically now. So long winded way of saying, if you haven't checked out the NC fit app, check it out. It has a bunch of options and I haven't enjoyed training this much in a long time. Yeah, those less days, more intentional. It's not the way that I train, but I think it can make sense. Um, I, for me, it's a little bit do more type of thing. But I, I, I could, I could appreciate that mindset as well, right? I just like to get, I just like to get after it. So it's a little bit different. But, um, well, gentlemen, I appreciate you all. I appreciate you guys for listening. Make sure to leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out our previous episodes. We have a cop with Kalipas that drop on Mondays. We have guest episodes midweek. We have these episodes that come out Thursdays, sometimes every now and then Friday. Keep training hard. Keep getting after it. And talk to you all soon.